Welcome to the Living Hope Church podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. We pray that you are blessed by the sermon. Uh, We act as a resource, um, this podcast, to provide you with weekly sermons from our church um, and that you would be encouraged on your drive to work or encouraged at home when you're cleaning, that this would be an encouragement for you. And so we pray that you were blessed by the sermon today. So let's get into the sermon. Just take a moment and think, what did Zacchaeus experience that changed him? What did he come face to face with where he turned from the way that he was living to a new way of life? I think we all know the answer because it's all something that we long to experience ourselves and not just to experience like, going to see a beautiful picture of mountains. No, it's something that we need to the core of our being. It's love. It's love. And this morning, we're going into a series about who we are in Christ. Last week, I ended my message with a a very clear statement that when the church forgets who we are in Christ then the gospel doesn't go forward. Then God's joy is not lived in. The world is no better off if we forget our identity, who we are. And we're known by our identity, right? If I were to say, hey, can I show, if a police officer were to come up to you, can I see a form of identification? We'd take out our wallets and we'd pull out a handy-dandy thing that we call a driver's license or some form of identification. And we pull this out because this tells us who we are. Like the person that the government knows about that's listed on here is the person holding the card. And you can see, I mean, actually I look better in person, I know, but there's still a pretty good picture of of me right here. But you can see that they match up and there's information on here that tells somebody else who I am. Notice that connection, our identification cards Tell us information so somebody else knows who we are. And do you know that we have an identification card in Christ? Do you know that? We do. And so we're going to take the next five weeks to look at who we are, not only as individuals, but as the church. Because we need to know who we are in order so that we know how to live here in Medina and in the surrounding areas. We've got to know what our identification cards tell us about ourselves, because sometimes we, for, we can forget. All right, so I just had a, a memory about an old Dukes of Hazard episode when I believe, uh, let's see, Bo, the blonde-haired one. Luke, thank you. Um, <laughs> see, and Dukes of Hazard. just so you guys know, Dukes of Hazzard uh, was an old TV show that uh, I love to watch, uh, jumping cars and you know, running away from the police officer. Not that part, but uh, it was part of the fun of the show, okay? I do not endorse running away from the police officers, okay? Don't endorse that. But there was uh, a time when he hit, when Bo hit his head on a rock and lost his memory. He, he forgot who he was. 
And, uh, and of course, the bad guys found him and realized he wasn't remembering who he was and used that to kind of slip in and tell him that he was somebody else than he actually was. And that's why we need to remember our identification card. We need to remember who we are in Christ. Because the songs that we've sung about, a privilege to share the gospel from may the peoples praise you. Come behold the wondrous mystery. We are a part of that mystery. We have entered into that mystery of what Christ has done for us. It is part of our identity. When we are in Christ, it changes our DNA. From the ground up, we are completely somebody else. We are a new creation. And we've got to get that down for everyday living. So this is going to apply to every waking moment of your life to remember who we are in Christ. All right, so we're going to be going five through five things. This week is that we are beloved, not just loved, beloved. That is part of your identity in Christ, that you are beloved. And what beloved means is precious, dearly loved. Now, we talk about our identity because in our culture today, we are told that we can create ourselves. We can make up our identity. Things like, you be you, or to each his own, express this cultural thinking that, hey, we can make up whoever I want to be. I can make up my own identity. We can do it. That's in... That's for me to decide who I am. And of course, on some levels it is, but let me help you understand that the underlying assumption is that God is not there. He did not make us. So if there's no creator who made us in a particular way with a particular identity, then there is nothing beyond ourselves that, can, that defines us. And so the reason why our culture thinks that we can make up our own identity is because the assumption is God isn't there. But a Christian worldview, a biblical worldview, comes from a different starting point. God created us. He is the one who has authority over us to tell us who we are. We are, have a particular identity because we are created. And one of those things is that we are beloved. We are beloved. So for people who might be listening to the recording of this, our neighbors, those who are seeking an authentic spirituality, those who are curious about Jesus, you might be here this morning too, I don't know, but let me just speak to you that you have been told your whole life that you get to define yourself and you are free to do what you want and identify yourself however you want. And it sounds great in freeing, but I would respectfully disagree. So let me ask you this, would a Caribbean or Alaskan cruise be great? Yeah, well, what if the captain was insane? Would it be great then? No. You could have the most perfect ship, but if the captain is messed up, so will the ship be. So is it really a good thing to be able to define ourselves when we ourselves are messed up? 
if we're the captain and we say who we are, and we're all aware that we're not perfect, we mess up, we hurt others, we are people that we don't want to be, then why do we look to ourselves to define ourselves? We are the messed up captains. And it doesn't matter how great you look on the outside, the whole ship is messed up because of the captain. And that's my point. I don't think it's a good place to be to depend on yourselves to define ourselves when we ourselves are messed up. And so we look to the one who is not messed up, who loves us with an everlasting love, which we're going to talk about this morning. We look to him to tell us who we are. And that's why I respectfully disagree with that position, that that's freeing and so good to be able to define ourselves. So if you have your Bibles, please open to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Romans is a letter in the New Testament. So you want to turn to the right of the Gospels. You'll see another book called Acts. And then Romans is the next one. Chapter 8. We'll be reading, going through uh, verses 31 through 39. And as you finish turning there, let me just pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you seeking our identity, to know who we are, to answer this question, who am I from you? And Holy Spirit, we ask for your help and direction, no matter who's here right now or listening on this recording, wherever they're at, we ask that you speak to them of your great love. Help us to come out of any rut that we are in. Some of us have been hearing you love us our whole lives, and it's gone from being a rhythm in our life to being a rut, and we just start to go through the motions. So would you help us to see anew this truth of who we are in you, that we are beloved. I pray this all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. All right. So Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. You can either read it um, in the Bible in front of you. If you don't have one, it'll be up on the screen. So here it is. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
a powerful passage. Folks, here's the one message I want you to get this morning. You are beloved. You are beloved. No matter what stuff is in your past, no matter what stuff you bring here to this moment at this time, you are beloved. You are dearly cherished, treasured, valued. This is your identity. You want to know who you are? You are beloved. Now let's go back to verse 30. Let's, let's, let's take a slower pace here. Verse 30. Or sorry, uh, verse 31 starts with the question, what shall we say to these things? And that's why we go back to verse 30. Okay, it's a reference to what Paul has just said. What has he just said? And those whom God has predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, we don't have the time to unpack that. There's a lot there. But just know you are beloved from this. God has chosen each of us who are in Christ to go from a place of everyday sort of not very special kind of place to a place of privilege, to a place of great honor because of Christ. Remember, Jesus is the king, and he said to each of us who have come to him, he's like, I want you sitting next to me in the throne room. You are beloved. Now, if that feels good inside, that's good because it's resonating with how we're made. We were made to be loved. We were made to be loved. And what does God do? Boy, he has poured it out. Let's, let's take a closer look. So verse 30, verse 32. Okay, so first, uh, verse 30, what we can say, what we can take away from that is that God is mindful of us. In being beloved, dearly cherished, God has been thinking about us. You know, it, Think of a movie, you know, a romantic movie. It would be very unusual for, let's just say, the guy, uh, you know, the main guy, and you got the main girl, and partway through the movie, he just accidentally stumbles, oh, I love you, without any previous connection point up to that point. We, we'd be like, what? That doesn't make any sense. Or even the climax, you know that the guy gives absolutely no thought. Okay, ladies, don't poke your husbands in the elbow for not giving any thought, okay? <laughs> it would be weird and unexpecting if the guy never gave any thought to how he was going to approach this woman that he loves. And God is the same way. We get the model from God. God is mindful. He knows each one of us. And I just don't mean on the surface. I don't mean from our Facebook profile or other social media. He knows us through and through. Every single part of us, he knows. And guess what? You are beloved. You are beloved. And this is the power of the gospel. That we can be accepted as the dirty, filthy people that we are as the beloved of God. So God is mindful of us. Let's look at verse 32. 
Paul writes, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Hmm. He who did not spare his own spare pennies. He who did not spare an extra car that he had in the driveway to give to somebody. He who did not give away his 401k. No. He who did not spare his own son. His own son. God spared absolutely no expense to redeem you. Now, I don't know if, if that doesn't communicate love, then I don't know what else will. Folks, you are deeply valued and treasured by God. He didn't even not spare his own son, but gave him up for you. You are beloved. You are beloved. I forgot a point, so let me go back. If God is for us, who can be against us? The other part of being beloved by God is that God is for us. He is for you. He's not against you. He is for you, which means he's coming alongside of you. Whether you recognize him or not, he is there. No matter what you're going through, he is there, and he is for you. And this is the cool thing about God, is that he can take any set of circumstances and bring good out of it. Any set of circumstances, no matter how tragic it looks or how tragic it is, God can redeem it and bring good out of it. So whatever's going on in your life, God is for you, which means he can, he's coming alongside you and he will redeem whatever set of circumstances you're in. Why? Because of who you are. You are beloved. Dearly cherished. Valuable. God is mindful of you. He is for you. He spared no expense to redeem you. Let's read on. Verses 33 and 34. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is, it is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. God defends us. He defends us. He defends you. He defends me. Why? Because we are beloved. God steps in the gap when we are being accused or anything as against us. No, before God, we are justified, which means we've been declared innocent because of Christ. It's not our great works, not great how great we are. Jesus has done and stepped in and defends us. No, this person is washed in my blood. He's received me and I will defend him or her because she is beloved to me. God defends us. He steps in the gap. And finally, the main, another main idea about being beloved from this passage comes in the last four verses. Let's read those again. These are good. Good to be reminded. Who shall separate us 
from the love of Christ. Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, no, Paul says, in all these things, in all these things that for any other human, not in Christ, should create such a depth of fear that they cannot live. Think of all these things that Paul, tribulation, that's danger against the, the bad things happening. Think about, you know, so somebody just, Point out to me that there's these two hurricanes converging in the Gulf. If they hit landfall, think about the damage that can wreak havoc. All right, guess what? They're not, anybody there is not separated from the love of God. That's, that's like a, an example of tribulation, something very difficult, challenging, hard, very scary. Distress. Yeah, these past few months have been pretty distressful, haven't they? Persecution, that is our lives being threatened simply because we are Christians. That's persecution. Or famine, not having any food. How are we going to feed ourselves? Basic necessities. Or nakedness, that means everything's been taken away from us, including our clothes. Or danger or sword, our lives being threatened. Any of these things. Paul says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors, through what? Ourselves. No. Through him who loved us. Are you getting it this morning? Spirit, would you stir our hearts with a new love song that comes from you? Help us to get out of the rut of hearing about God's love over and over again to where we just don't give it any more thought. Stir our hearts with the truth of your word here. The power of this passage that says so much about our identity in you. You know, the best illustration of, of God's love, and there's very, it's a lot of purpose here, and it's the, the illustration of marriage. We look to examples around the world, and we wonder, how can God's love be illustrated? And it's in the marriage relationship. A marriage is a man and a woman being united together in a covenant where each one receives and accepts the other as they are, as they are, okay? So in other words, when Deb said yes, when I asked her to marry me, she did not say, well, I'll say yes if. I'll marry you if. No. Without condition. I accept you as you are. And there is upon no condition except death. When I die, there is no other condition in which I will leave you. 
That is the marriage covenant. This is exactly what God has done with us. He has accepted us as we are. He made the way through Jesus for him to be able to accept us as we are, that we could come to him in grace, simply by trusting in him and not having to work for our salvation. Because we would still all fail if that's what it was dependent on. The marriage bond is meant to reflect the fact that we are beloved by God in Christ. Let's look at a few other passages. I want to look at Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, 25 through 32. Ephesians is left, uh, sorry, right of Romans, a few books. Ephesians 5. Paul here in the context is talking about the marriage relationship. Sorry, in verse 20, 25, he, he has just addressed wives and now he's addressing husbands. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Skipping down to verse 28, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Then Paul cites a very popular, well-known passage from the Old Testament that talks about marriage. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. The marriage relationship is a real-world example picture of Christ's love for his church because we are beloved. We are beloved. We are also united with Christ like the marriage bond. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So here turn turn to the left. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 17, Paul, after just referring to that Genesis passage that the two shall become one flesh, he says this in verse 17 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So the analogy is just the way that a husband and wife have become one flesh, through marriage, so we, when we come to Christ, we become one with him. We become one with him. So we are united in Christ. We are also called the bride of Christ. The church is called the bride of Christ. Now, I know, guys, this feels weird being called part of the bride. I, I get that. Just get the love that is communicated through the analogy, okay? But the bride of Christ. And here I'm going to be looking at Revelation chapter 19. We are called the bride of Christ because we are beloved. We are beloved. 
I'm reading, going to read verses 6 through 8. Then I, uh, that's John, the person writing Revelation, says, Then I, John, heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So let's not miss the imagery here. What is he hearing? He's hearing not a little babbling brook. He's hearing the Niagara Falls of a crowd, of a multitude. No small crowd here. It's a party. It's a party going on. Why? Because it's a huge celebration because the bride, the church, has been made ready. And there's going to be a feast. It's going to be a party. But we are called the bride of Christ. And if you were to read all the way up from the beginning of Revelation up to that point, you will see that God has gone to great lengths to bring his bride to himself. I want to share a brief story uh, from earlier this week. I was sitting in my bedroom uh, in my uh, Father's Day present, which was uh, a rocking chair. <laughs> Boy, man, you're getting old. No, uh, it's a, one of those um, rocking chairs made out of uh, the sticks. You know, they took a bentum, it's got the bark on, everything like that. I saw it in a store once. I thought that would be cool to have because I love wood. Um, and so I am sometimes I'm able just to spend time with the Lord uh, during that time when I can just sit and rock. Um, and it was still early morning, and uh, our youngest came in, which she often does, uh, and she came and just crawled in the bed as I was sitting there. And, um, and she invited me to come, and, you know, oh, could I snuggle with her? And, and I was, I just kind of just started being with the Lord, and I wanted to be with the Lord, and I didn't want to go over there and crawl and snuggle to her. And then I started thinking, you know, here's a moment where I can demonstrate the love of God because she is beloved by the Lord. And so I put my stuff down and I just crawled up next to her, put my arm around her. And I said, this is what Jesus wants you to know, that you are loved and he wants to snuggle with you because he loves you. I thank the Lord for giving me that idea and just putting aside my agenda to tell one of my kids how much they are loved by God. You know, Jesus wants to snuggle up with you. That's how loved you are. I often get the vision, the idea, and by vision I just mean the picture in my mind that we have such access to the Father that it is like a young prince who comes into the throne room of his dad and the king sets everything aside and invites the child up on his lap to be with him. Do you realize the creator 
sustainer of all things of heaven and earth, invites you to come into the throne room and crawl up on his lap. Why? Because you are beloved. This should rock our worlds. It really should. And so the question is, why doesn't it? Why is the church not visible today when we are beloved in the midst of this pandemic? Because scripture says there's a key thing about being beloved when it relates to fear. It's the last passage I want to turn to, and it's 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. Start from Revelation and just start working backward. Back to the left. You'll come to John. 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. Verse 18. I've said it before, I'm going to say it again, because this is a key principle for everyday life in living out your identity as the beloved of God. And it's this. There is no fear in love. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. Have we been loved with a perfect love, ladies and gentlemen? Yes. But do we still have fears? We do. So those are areas that you don't feel loved. Those are areas that the perfect love of God still needs to penetrate and we still need to hold on to. Because if it's true that we have loved, been loved with the perfect love, then Christians ought to be the least fearful people in the world. Why? Because we have nothing to lose. We are loved. No fear of rejection. The creator of the universe has loved us and accepted us. We have been welcomed in. We are beloved. We are treasured, valued, precious. He is mindful of us. He is for us. He has spared no expense to get us. Why the fear? Why the fear? Because we're in process. We're not perfect. God knows this. That's why with the gospel we have grace, forgiveness. He picks us up, brushes us off. All right, let's go again. You are loved. You are loved. So I want to close with prayer. But before I do, I just want to mention that how we close in prayer, we're going to continue this tonight in immersion. Because we're going to specifically address wherever these pockets where you do not feel loved and hence you feel fear are. And we're going to apply the love of Christ to those things. Why? Because our hearts 
remember everything we experience. I've talked about this, and hopefully this is nothing new. But every experience of your day, it's recorded on our hearts. And that includes the fear, fear of rejection, the shame that you might feel about yourself. The love of Christ is able to handle it and deal with it. So I just want you to know we're going to be dealing with it tonight, more specifically at immersion. And if there's a pocket of fear in your heart, I invite you, yay, I want to say beg. And I want to say beg because you're hindered. You are kept back from knowing God and all the fullness of his love if you hang on to those pockets of fear. If you allow shame to keep, the, keep you from sharing with others, from coming into the light where God is, There's nothing you can share where you will be rejected. And that's why, church, we need to know who we are in Christ so that when outsiders come in, we are ready to receive them with open arms because those are the same open arms that God has received us. No, sorry, you don't look nice. You... You kind of smell, I'm sorry. Go take a shower and then come back. Really? We've been welcomed as we are. And when we realize that, then we are able to extend that love, God's love, to others who are dying in full decay. But again, we're also in process. We need to deal with these things. And by dealing, what I mean is we take them to the throne. We take them to the throne room of heaven. And we can go there because we are beloved. Treasured, precious, valuable to the King of kings and Lord of lords. His attention is on you. He wants to redeem you from those pockets of fear that are going on in your heart right now, whether you're aware of it or not, there's fear going on. There is something you fear. And Jesus wants to tell you, you have nothing to fear. I've loved you with a perfect love. I can't love you anymore. I've shown you the full extent of my love. There's nothing to fear. And if we understood that as the church, I think our world would be experiencing something very different from us than what they currently are. That's why we need to know who we are in him. So let me pray right now. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this moment right now. For your love transforms. Your love changes. Even those who are listening to the recording, we pray to them that your love right now, that right now, Holy Spirit, would you bring a moment of fear that's going on in our hearts, something that we're scared of. Maybe it was an event from the past, something that was very fearful. Bring it to our attention, Holy Spirit, 
And now in the name of Jesus, show us your love for us in that moment. Show us the power of your love. Help us to see our identity that casts out the fear. It's only by your power, by your authority, and by your love that transforms us. Whatever you have started, Holy Spirit, we ask that you finish. Help us to be attentive to that work that you have started. Let us not go into the rest of our days and just forget what you have started here. Pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.